Welcome to Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North, and today I actually finally got to do what this whole podcast was originally supposed to be about. Uh, I didn't really want to just sit here and talk by myself to all of you people. That wasn't the plan. The plan was to have enriching conversations with people about the game and within the game. Now, because of pandemic, that makes it really difficult, right? I also am not someone who really loves the idea of doing the Zoom calls and everything, but today I went ahead and did one. And as a way to end the new year, I talked to one of my best friends in the whole world, Ben Sipkoff, about loyalty in football. Hope you enjoy it. Today we're going to talk about loyalty, right, Ben? Go ahead. Introduce yourself. Yeah. Tell us who you are and and why on earth I would actually ask someone like you to uh, be on a show like this. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no worries. First of all, I just want to say, you know, um, I'm really proud of you for doing this. This is a really cool thing. I've, I've you know, p- kept up and paid a little attention to the stuff that you've been doing and different stuff on Instagram and um, even the couple of things on Spotify that you've released so far. And I've really enjoyed them, particularly the music and the, the commentary that you're making. So I just want to congratulate you getting this stuff out there. It's really cool. Um, I'm Ben Sipkoff. Uh, I work for a club in Maryland. They're called uh, Soccer Association of Columbia, SAC. Um, we play competitions all over the country. So, you know, you may have seen us at a local tournament. Hopefully you did. Um, and then I have my own company, which is uh, Pro Soccer Institute, PSI, which I run um, individual training and specialized training for teams. It's all those lines in my area. Sweet. And well, then the other thing is we're really good friends. Uh, even though you're from Pennsylvania and I'm yeah. from Colorado, we both <laughs> went to Goucher College, a hub of exceptional soccer lineage. Let's all let's all be honest. D three legends, you know. Yeah. Um, if you've never heard of flesh. us, that yeah. is not surprising at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we played together. Uh, ben, your goalkeeper, um, yep. and. Still to this day, one of the one of the best ones I've seen, despite being Leo Messi's size. Let's all let's all <laughs> as well. Um, so, uh, and I, I, you're a coach, and um, the reason why for me, like bringing you on and having you really talking to you as a first like guest, the reason why is because you are able to bring a nuanced perspective to the game, um, and. I, you're one of the few people that I actually can stomach sitting and watching a game with because no, really. I mean, I, I don't know how other people feel about this, but if I'm in a bar watching a game with people, I hear so much stuff that drives me nuts that I either have to get pasted or leave. It's yeah. one or the other um, because, or else I'm just going to get in an argument with someone. And so like when I've watched games with you, it's always fun because we can talk about the tactics, the intricacies, and neither one of us is trying to just like, throw people under the bus and just say they suck because we're also wise enough to know that we're not we are we didn't make it we weren't good enough to get right so um and i I, that to me is a major point of this is these aren't just like celebrities these are craftspeople who have done something better than us really and yeah um so the whole concept of loyalty in this is like to me it's do we have loyalty for the game itself right and then I just want us to sort of dive into all the little things that make us question, like how loyal are we to this game that's supposed to bring us joy and how do we kind of turn it against ourselves? Right. And like use it as a tool to be upset and angry. And 
by doing that and something that I was talking to um, Celia, my partner about, if you criticize someone else's value system, you're basically just indicting your own, right? It's kind of like the idea that like, you know, similar to the idea that bullies only bully because they hate themselves kind of thing, right? So if we just get rid of all our loyalty for this game, like what are we holding on to personally for ourselves? What's the value system? Why, right? So um, I want to open it up to you here and, and ask you sort of what are the things that kind of trigger you on this whole entire thing? And what have you seen over the course of your fandom as not just a soccer fan, but also a United fan? Because you're yeah. a Manchester United Ooh. fan. Yeah, and, I got to bring that up, I guess. Yeah, yeah you know. Um, well, you're, you're Ferguson, early Ferguson era. So loyalty at a club level and a managerial level, you've seen it displayed in a way that over the years in a really cool way. So go for it. I want to I hear just... All kinds of things to um to your point earlier about seeing um you know being able to have conversations about treating these athletes as though they are artists in some ways you know craftsmen i think mm. that that's you know very understated particularly in our culture we tend to look at a celebrity or a player of of um even a high level you know they don't have to necessarily be a ronaldo level to be mythicized myth if you will right. you know um, so what I, I love this quote by Van Persie, um, Robin Van Persie, where he, who was actually his parents were, I believe both artists, or maybe it was just his mother. I, I can never quite remember if his dad was an artist or a professor, but I believe his mother was an artist. And, um, he references the runs that he makes on the field as paint strokes of a paintbrush, you know, and that his touches wow are the highlights to that paint stroke and that his goals are the accentuations and the full picture that he's painting for his, for his fans, you know? And I try to look at wow. every um, player with that same sort of ideology that these are artists in the same way I like to think of myself as an artist when it comes to coaching. I have a vision just like, you know, just like a painter does sitting in front of a canvas. And I want that vision to come to fruition. Only my paint and my um, tools are my players, you know, and totally. my practice sessions are me refining the technique of using my players, you know? So when I step to a field, I try to look through it through those eyes and it helps in a lot of ways to remove me from um, thinking of them as, as gods or, 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 you know, sort of mythalized creatures that right. are doing something of fantasy that is unachievable or, um, unrecognizable to me, you know? Um, that's an interesting point. Yeah. And then to, to now to talk about the, 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 well, hold on. The I ride wanna, of, just, I'm sorry. I yeah. to ask, Cause what you just said yes. is really interesting. You're, you're basically saying that like, when we start to elevate, these humans who are excellent right. craftspeople as gods, now we can just take shots at them because they're right, gods. Exactly, they're invincible. Right. We can just right. We can just well, we dehumanize them in that action. We, we dehumanize them by elevating them. Which exactly. Is exactly. That's so sorted exactly. and twisted, isn't it? Right. Well, it's it's. Um, I think it's human nature, you know, because 
it's very tough for us as human beings to cope with our our inabilities our our inconsistencies our our you know our um for instance <laughs> i'm i'm five five and yes i played at a high level i even had a tryout for a, a semi-professional indoor team didn't go my way because i'm five five you know but so i have certain things that prevented me some out of my control some in my control from being able to be a professional soccer player so when i look at a professional soccer player i can either say oh they're not human and that's why they're a professional which then relieves me of my responsibility and my failure right to become a pro athlete totally right or i can look at them as a human being and try and take pieces of them to make myself and better myself on my own journey without being in comparison to this this craftsman who happens to have made it to a level where he's able to show off his skills in this way you know which i think is <laughs> i think as a fan we need to start to get back to a sense of admiration for these people you know a sense of you're giving us a gift of entertainment on a given day and that doesn't come you know it's not lost on me and i'm sure it's not lost on you as members of the community the massive amount of sacrifice that these people have to make to give us that gift totally, of being yeah. able to watch them perform at this high level. Yep. You know, we all excuse actors for maybe being a little bit on edge or a little bit avant-garde or a little bit eccentric, right? And maybe even having an edge, right? We excuse that or because, oh, being it's in a terrible movie, an <laughs> but we don't allow our pro athletes to have a bad day. You know, to show up with their hamstring a little bit tight and just say, I can either go out there and give a 50% performance or I can sit the bench, right? Well, neither one of those options are, fan, are, are options that fans will accept. And that's unreasonable as a fan. You know, we, ha we have to get back to a place of admiration as, uh, as opposed to a place of mythalization. I, I'm not saying the right, the word's not correct but of I, mythalizing them, you know, of turning them into gods. Yeah, well, so, and honestly, everything you're saying is bringing a certain name to mind for me. Wayne Rooney. Yes, yeah, well, yeah. So, yeah. I, first of all, and we, we talked about this, we've talked about this before, it's something that, and I just want to say this for, Wayne Rooney for me is like this, like, pivotal moment in football history like for me because he's a week older than me and i remember watching yeah. that game um the arsenal everton game where he came where he scored that insane oh, yeah. goal yeah from like 40 and yards it, out it was unbelievable it, 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 well, 25 but either way it was just i was like oh he's my age <laughs> yeah. Yeah. i'm not gonna make it that's it. My dream of becoming a professional soccer player ended with Wayne Rooney scoring against Arsenal. Right, right. That was it for me. And what it was was not like this despair, but it was like, wow, respect. If that's what it takes, I know now. I've, I, I have now – I've been checked hard. Yes. And then yeah. – so for me, like, he was so pivotal in that way. He was so iconic for me personally. And I thought he was brilliant. And – to honestly i've never thought otherwise about wayne rooney but a guy who is good the record goal scorer for manchester united and england yeah 
I don't know how many people actually really consider him an all-time great. Yeah. And I'd like to note, hold on one second. I'd like yeah. to note too, all-time goal scorer for England played out of position for at least two, at least his last two years for England. Sure. Yeah. And yep. still number one goal scorer for England yeah. and played out of position. And you so, know? you know, when we talk about demonizing people that we bring up, I think, what happened in what happened with Wayne Rooney's career, the fact that people still ask themselves, did he achieve his full potential? It's like, dude, just, just like put together a list of things that he accomplished from when he started to where he ended. And it's, it's, it's amazing, right? It's an incredible thing. So why are we so disloyal to Wayne Rooney? Why do we, why do we dog him? Um, And you as a United fan, I mean, I'd love to hear the perspective on what United fans think of, like what, why, why your record goal scorer is not your, your legend, right? He's just someone that, yeah, he did well, but he didn't achieve his full potential. Like how on earth is that possible? Well, I think, I think you nailed it right on the head. It's the, the idea of expectation, right? If, um, mm-hmm. if I walk into a room and my expectation is that um, that room will be filled with gold and it's filled with silver instead, then I'll be disappointed, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's what it comes down to with him is that he was, you know, he was running with a, a nation and, and you know, um, in so many ways, a very soccer critical nation um, with like their hopes and dreams on his shoulders. Any, any failure, meaning anything less than a World Cup victory was going to lead to a scapegoating of him. You know, and I mean, and I think that that happens, to be honest with you, I think that's becoming a systemic, you know, issue in, I think, soccer worldwide, but particularly European soccer. You know, you see it at a managerial level, you see it at a player level, the idea that they can, that these people are interchangeable playing cards, you know, only there to make a quick buck is I think personally counterproductive and monetarily counterproductive as well. You know, I mean, I don't think it can be good for the economics of these clubs to be firing or to be, you know, paying out contracts or letting contracts run with, with players sitting on benches or in reserves behind politics as opposed to performance, you know? And I think that the idea of expectation in that realm is what is allowing for this to kind of fester and even really populate, you know, is, oh, well, I bought you for $50 million. You're not living up to your $50 million value because I had an expectation set for that $50 million. Even though let's say that guy shows up and he was playing a false nine system at his last club, right? Brought to a new club, asked to play a dual system with a striker right? Because the manager thinks, oh, well, he was already playing in that receded role. So he'll just link up with this guy. I think it'll work out fine. And they just never build chemistry. Maybe they don't like each other off the field. Maybe they don't, you know, what it could be a variety of different things, right? So all of a sudden, that guy you bought from $50 million that you had an expectation of scoring 16 goals in your season, right? Isn't living up to his expectations of scoring 16 million goals. And it becomes easy for that to become a like a numbers game instead of a human evaluation of what's going on. Let's actually look at the analytics and the, the, the tactics 
necessary for success before we immediately kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater. If you totally, will. you did know, you hear what Mourinho said about stats a couple weeks ago. I did not. I, oh, you know, it's such interestingly a good enough, I breezed past like an interview with him, and I believe it was no. Like, it, it just that, yeah. he dropped a one-liner that was just a Mourinho-style excellence. He said, yeah. he said, stats are like badly cooked meat. Yeah. Stats are like eating badly cooked meat. And it's yeah. like, yeah, it's like, they're so, they're so shallow. There's nothing in them. Like stats tell a story, but there's also a flip side to every statistic. Right. So you want to say that uh, someone had 25 assists this season. You can also be like, well, where are the goals? You know, or like, right. They weren't the person setting up. They weren't the, the person setting up the person to assist, right? Like every single stat, you can look at a light side and a dark side of it. And yeah. We, if we get drawn into looking at stats, like you said, we just lose all visual of the humanity aspect, right? And when you were talking about sacking managers, so here's a funny thing you being a United fan, um, and me being a Chelsea fan, we have seen complete opposite methods of how to treat a manager in our time because Ferguson could have been sacked. Who knows how many times in the last, uh, you know, over the course of his career where they were six at Christmas and they ended up winning the league, right? And, right. And then, you know, they stuck with him for years. And he kept winning, kept rebuilding teams. And then I'm a Chelsea fan. I'm sitting here. It's like Carlo Ancelotti wins the double. Next season, they go through a really tough two, three months where they drop off. They almost come back and win the title. Nope, fired because they lost at United, and that was the decisive game. Yeah, I mean, the amount of managers. So, Roberto Di Matteo wins the Champions League with Chelsea. He's fired within four months because they start the season poorly. Yeah, If you want to look at like a loyalty to managers, Chelsea is one of the most hilariously terrible clubs for it. And maybe, and I don't know, maybe started a culture in England of really judging managers way too quick and so what i'm hoping with frank lampard is this kind of comes full circle and the club realizes we can't just can people but the funny thing is now we're at united who went through two decades of stability and loyalty in every aspect i mean loyalty is what you assume is what you associated with man united yeah that's like the word for it and now it's like gone Right now, everyone just wants to sack a club legend, even though he's yeah. doing well. So yeah. I want to hear your, your views on that, because I think the, the polarization of those two clubs, it's so funny. And also, it just, yeah, I mean, Man United, it, to me, really is, they were the definition of loyalty under Ferguson. So yeah. what's your perspective on that? And I mean, they, they are, right? I mean, I, I still think in so many ways they are. You know, I mean... They're convincing Pogba to stay, you know, like they're, they're doing something to rebuild that sort of, um, it, you know, that idea that of loyalty to the badge, you know? Um, and it's actually interesting that you brought up the um, Chelsea story about Ancelotti. I was just reading an article by um, Lucas Besters. I just brought it up um, on my screen. So if you see my eyes darting. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I believe it was um, corroborated with uh, Van Hours and Van Tulji, but I could be getting that those both those names horribly incorrect. No worries. And um, it's entitled "Effectiveness of In-Season Manager Changes in English Premier League Football." And one of the case studies they look at is that transition of Ancelotti, 
And using data, they basically said, you know, that that was an ineffective change. It, it while there was some impact initially, right? It it ended up balancing it out. It, it so all the club ended up doing was spending unnecessary money to pay out Ancelotti's contract, right? Which is deficit, which is a, puts the club at a deficit. You know, financially, because now they're paying two two manager contracts, you know. So it's interesting because when you really look at what the data is saying about these sort of this sort of um, disloyal behavior, it's actually costing these clubs significant amounts of money with no positive effect. Right. You know, so when I look at something like being a Manchester United fan, you know, I have to, you know, give some credit to the to the idea that Ferguson is built built an environment of loyalty that has led to the 30 years of international t-shirt sales domination of Manchester United you know and i think if we i think we could steer back that way with managers like Skullshire managers like Lampard you know who really could uh, effectuate this sort of long-term manager managerial um job safety you know but actually even in the article i read you know one of but in the, the article i was just talking about they say at the end of it that you know they they kind of just discuss well what are the reasons then because if the financial department is saying, hey, don't do this, it's going to cost us money. This hurts us. This actually hurts us. Then why are they really firing these guys? Right? And what they found was that most of the time, it's, a, it's, it's one of two situations. It's a proactive firing, meaning the club owners do it to save face with their fan base. Right? Oh, we've slipped six games. We're struggling. Right? Let me turn, let me turn on the coach and throw, you know, scapegoat the coach and that'll protect our fan base and, and in effectuation, protect our stock prices. Right. Right. right, right. Which is where their bottom lines more or less lie. And then the other one is inevitable firings. And this has to be taken into mind when we're talking about this idea of loyalty. So I really want to talk about it because I think this sort of idea of an, an inevitable firing is really the beginning of where the change needs to happen, right? Okay. Like we're hiring managers and not even giving them transfer windows, right? So we're saying, hey, we expect you with the squad picked by this guy we just fired to make things happen. Well, that doesn't make any logical sense, <laughs> right? So that that to me becomes one of these things of like well those are those are the areas where we've got to start to say hey maybe we don't fire that guy like i have in my notes here um what's his name uh that took over for uh lee oh reed alan reed who took over at alan reed i think i probably got his first name wrong but he took over for Leeds after Leeds after O'Leary spent that like hundred million dollars in the transfer window, and they bought terrible players and lost like six games in a row, and were in a relegation trouble. Was it Peter Reed? Peter, it might be Peter Reed. That sounds correct. Again, I could be wrong. But um, anyway, when he took over for Leeds, so O'Leary had bought 
it spent a hundred million dollars in a transfer window and bought players that were all individually very talented, but couldn't get along. You know, they couldn't play together. Yeah. Put himself in relegation trouble. They fire him. They hire Reed. Reed comes in, right? Wins, I believe, seven of nine games. Yes. When they had to win nine of nine to not be relegated. And oh, he right. gets fired. Yeah. He gets yep. fired in the in the summer transfer window. Right? They let Reed go because because the team still got relegated. That's a good well, example. That's one of these situations that's an inevitable firing. Right? That that attitude has to change. You didn't even give that guy a chance. And that's when I think about loyalty well, and when no, I you, think you about gave him a chance what and he actually used like, it well. Um, Oh, I'm sorry. What did you say? I was saying you gave him a chance. He actually delivered, but he didn't perform the impossible miracle. The expectations. <laughs> the expectations. Right. He didn't deliver the expectations. Mm-hmm. You know, so to bring that back to Manchester United, I'm actually really, really proud of us because I think our board may be one of the only ones out there at the top level that's acknowledging some of the ridiculousness because they got forced to trade managers so quickly, you know? I mean, they just signed Skullshire to a new contract, you know? He's sitting second in the Premier League. They just signed him into four years. Now, I mean, the unfortunate things, there's only a $7 million buyout clause on the end of the contract, so they could fire him at any second. But, right. it, but it shows, hey, we gave you a shot. You weren't doing well. We had faith in you when you weren't doing well. And now you are successful. Who knows where we'll finish? Maybe we'll get relegated, but I doubt it. You know, I think we'll probably finish in the top five. So you got to give the guys some credit, and that credit should be rewarded with job security. You know, Uh, not more money, which effectively causes less job security at a managerial role. Mm -hmm. If you're making $20 million, it's almost cost beneficial for the club to fire you and hire a $10 million manager than it is for them to keep you around. Interesting. You know, that's an interesting point. The idea that it's, it's not really about how much money you put behind someone. It's about how much faith you put behind someone and how much, yeah. You know, I think right now now it's how much money they're putting. I think it's being driven by how much money they're putting behind the managers. And I think it needs to transition to, you know, if there's something to take away from the old game, you know, you and I have talked many times about like, God, if we have to listen to one more guy, talk about how the old game is the real successful game. Right. if there is one thing we can take away from it, it's that idea of loyalty to, to managers and to players, which disseminates the players then. Yeah. You know, if your manager's not walking around being terrified about being sacked, you're not walking around being terrified of being sacked. Totally. Means you give everything you have every game to the club and to the badge because they're, they're giving it back to you in job security. You know? Yeah. That's actually an interesting point you just made actually is that, this I, there's an idea that players don't seem to care that the manager is going to go and they'll still be there. But people, in a way, that's true. You get rid of the manager, you can't get rid of the whole team. But there are a lot of players whose career went just descended all because the manager that brought them to a club got sacked. The new one came in and didn't like them, and then nothing ever worked out. They never played for a team yeah. where it all clicked, and it just. And so sometimes when you fire a manager, you actually debilitate half your squad if, if exactly. it's wrong. Thing. One thing that you mentioned, uh, so there's, you said uh, inevitable firings. The, so there's two names uh, that jumped into my mind. 
And these are two different types of sackings that happen. So the first one is Nigel Atkins. He was the manager of Southampton when oh, they yes. came back into the Premier League like a decade ago, right? Yeah. Um, and they were playing some good stuff. They were scoring goals. Like, they were pretty exciting to watch. But they took some beatings as well. They kind of yeah. looked like Norwich last season, right? Yes. Um, yes. And somehow, mid, mid-season, they're doing fine. They're kind of, I mean, you know, they're, they're going to be in a relegation battle probably because they're a promoted club. But they're doing well. I mean, and out of nowhere, they sack Nigel Atkins. Yeah. And they bring in Mauricio Pochettino, who at the time spoke very little English and needed an interpreter in interviews. So the English press was like, you've just fired this guy who got you promoted. You've spent four months in the Premier League. You don't look like you're going to go down necessarily. And you've just gotten rid of this guy. This is totally disloyal. And, and, And people were right to be upset about it. Funny thing is the president came out and was like, the important thing is to make the change when you see that problems are coming, not to wait for the problems to arrive. We didn't think that this was going to be sustainable for the season, so we brought in Mauricio. Well, hindsight says that was a very good decision because Southampton have yeah. never looked back. You know, yeah. they've, got, they've had yeah. good managers yeah. uh, since, and, and they're, I mean, they're, an, they're a club that is so stable looking as a Premier League outfit right now. And, you know, that was that's an interesting show of like cutthroat disloyal that we don't care we're getting rid of you and it panned out so there is that side of it where you can see why people do that then the other one this is and this is my favorite one on the flip side david moyes right takes over at west ham right and then gets fired at the end of a season after keeping them up yeah Yeah, after doing an incredible job all right david moyes you're boring and man united fired you we can't possibly have a man united reject we'd rather have a man city reject so let's hire mauricio so let's hire um manuel pellegrini yeah fire him and then bring you back david moyes yeah like i mean and, and now west ham are doing excellent and so uh, it's just such a hilarious story of like, you've really got to do it right and think, think it through. And I think what Southampton did was maybe cutthroat and, and harsh, but they had a clear plan, a very obvious plan for what they wanted. And, and they knew that Mauricio Pochettino would be good. Um, getting rid of Moyes to bring in Pellegrini was, was literally just like, okay, we need to look, we're going to change our style. We're going to be a, right. we're going to be a, an exciting team to watch. We're going to challenge for Europe even though we just barely avoided relegation. Now we're going to bring in Pellegrini. Everything's going to get rosy. And, you know, where is the value system in terms of the choice that West Ham made? And you see them having to go all the way back on it. And again, like I said with Chelsea earlier, it's like went through how many managers? I mean, the list is insane from when Ravich took over. And where are we right now? We're with a guy who played for the club for years, who was bringing up academy players. And it's like, how do we get full circle? Oh, value systems. Like if you make these choices with like a real human, like consideration, it will probably work better than if you use the financial consideration. Right. Right. And I think the point you made about how it's, it's more efficient to spend less money on your manager overall, because you will just create more a sense of loyalty. And I think, man, Ferguson it looks like everything that he, his entire ethos, it's at least kept somewhat alive by Oli being there and by the club saying, no, we're sticking by him. 
even though, right? Right. But, you know, it's, it's a show. It's like, actually, like, you know, people, we're choosing to be loyal. Right. What do right. you, what, how does that make you feel, right? Right. And I think, too, that there's like a, um, an element of that that then perpetuates throughout your club, right? Like, it was hard to be a Manchester United fan for the last seven years. You know, it was because we'd been on top for so long. People had just been waiting, salivating to jab us repeatedly over and over again for every little thing. And I can't blame them. I can't blame them at all. That's the, you know, that's the benefit of being on top for 20 years is maybe we got to suffer some of the downside. But I mean, I have personal friends, not many, thank gosh, but some that jump ship. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that became Tottenham fans or they became um, Liverpool fans or they became or even Man City fans, you know, and I have to look at that guy and I have to say, how can I blame you? We went through four different managers in three years, right? None of which put us in relegation trouble. None of which, you know what I mean? In almost every situation, but what, two or three years, we qualified for Europe. You know, it was, again, one of those situations that was we're going to set unreasonable expectations. Yes. And then if you don't meet those unreasonable expectations, we're going to make you very, very scared. And that idea of fear pushing sales seems silly to me. And I mean, pushing sales and the idea that fear, fear while initially a very strong motivator, right? If I walk into a room and I say to somebody, I'm going to fire you tomorrow unless you get your two hours of work done today, there's a real good chance on that day that guy will get those two two hours of work done, right? But if I do that every single day to that guy for a month straight, by that by the first of the next month, he's probably probably going to be like, man, you know, come fire me, man. Bring it. Or just do you terrible know? work. Because the pressure of walking around thinking you're going to lose your job all the time affects affects your performance mm-hmm. it affects your ability to go out and try new things like one of the things that i love right now about manchester united's actual soccer is they're creative again for the first time in in seven years you know they have a breath of creativity bruno uh, bruno fernandez paul pogba's long balls domine coming out of the midfield with the surges there's this sense of of um we're not afraid to fail, right? And if you take mm. the Wolves game as an example of what that brings to the table, that essence of we're not afraid to fail, you start getting results like you do in that Wolves game where we score goals in the last couple of minutes of games to win them. And you know who that reminds me of is the era of Ferguson. That's what made Manchester United untouchable in that era was it didn't matter if there was 10 seconds left and we had the ball in our 18, we could score a goal and win a game, mm-hmm. you know? And that in, its, that in itself, only, I think, only comes from loyalty. Because would you try, would Bruno Fernandez try to get a little nick on the ball to send, a, to send it through, you know, praying that Rashford was, was still, or I think, uh, I think it was yeah, Rashford who scored it, was still on sides, you know? Would he have uh, dared to do that at a club like, let's say, um, 
uh, let's say like Man City, who are a little bit more fluid in the way that they're moving players around and where they maybe feel. I mean, Man City's got a fairly good loyalty base, but maybe feel a little bit more unsettled, you know, because Pep isn't quite as there, if that makes sense. You know, not that he's not there, not that he's not doing good things, but it's sort of like if Manchester United doesn't, if Manchester City doesn't achieve everything, Pep might lose his job, which means if if Pep brought you into the club, you might lose your job, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's to ignore the fact, too, that that then cost Manchester City and just coaching staff, like, you know, $200 million over four years or whatever, you know? And that's not even counting the let's say let's say one two players that total 15 million dollars are also now sitting the bench because the new manager that comes in doesn't want to play i mean as a chelsea fan i can i don't even yeah the list of those is incredibly long it's incredibly long and um you know i think one interesting thing you were like saying earlier that some fans jump ship. It's so incredible because to me as a Chelsea fan, like I've been a Chelsea fan pre Abramovich era. So I'm going to make that yeah. clear. I've been yeah. a Chelsea fan since, um, you know, I remember that once they lost in the Europa league to Viking Stravanger, if you've ever heard of that club and maybe even seen them on FIFA or something. I remember when that <laughs> happened uh, and I was like, Oh, this is quite embarrassing. You know, getting beat by Trosmo in the snow in Norway. It's like, these were things that were happening at Chelsea. Club was in a really, really desperate state. And then Abramovich comes in and just changes the entire face of English football. Yeah. But ever since, right? Yeah, definitely. And ever since I've seen more and more Chelsea fans, right? And we live in the United States. So fans here, you always, you kind of wonder, why did you choose your club? Like, we didn't grow up in the backyard, so we had to choose some right. way, right? My right. my family's from my, – my dad's side of the family's from southwest London. Chelsea's right in the backyard. I probably could be a Fulham or Brentford fan as well in terms of, like, locale. But, you know, sometimes I'm like, why did you choose City or why did you – and then I realize people are just – they want to love a team, but they – a lot of people, because they're not so – like loyal to the sport and the game and the overall feel of it they don't want to go through the heartache of watching your team play like crap or lose right like they don't want and and, i mean it sucks when chelsea lose a game i really have to like like, i have to re like i'm like okay i like cope right i've i've got coping mechanisms to not be even remotely grouchy to just be like okay that was it that's, that's what happened i'm moving on and you, you, it's something that we put on ourselves as fans. Now, if you decide I don't want to feel an ounce of disappointment because of the expectation that I put that wasn't met, and that's on me, it's my expectation. Right. right? It's not theirs. It's my expectation was not met. I'm upset. How do I deal with that? Right. Yeah. I don't say, you know, I'd just rather be a Liverpool fan right now. I just, you know, Salah's great. You know what? I'm going to just take this off and go and go and grab my, my shirt that says Carlsberg on it, you know? And I, I, to me, like probably one of the biggest reasons why Liverpool's current like dominance is so magical for so many people is because it took so long to yeah. come back to the top and fans who were, who yeah. witnessed the last first, yeah. the last title win in the old first division. And now seeing this, they're like, looking at people who started becoming Liverpool fans four years ago and going, you have no idea. 
Yeah. You know how embarrassing it was for the club when Benitez came out and was like, facts, and just went at Ferguson, and Ferguson was like, you're done, bro. We're going to win the title now. That was horrible for Liverpool. And then yeah. the way they lost the title in the Brendan Rodgers year when Chelsea went and just, you know, oh, just yeah. pissed all, just pissed in the punch, basically. Um, and there's a Gerard slip. I mean, Liverpool fans have had to go through it. And if you are a Liverpool fan who went through it for all these years, the payoff now is sweet, real yeah. sweet. And if you're a Man United fan who, you know, you were a you know, Ferguson era United fan, you watch Moyes come in, they get rid of him in six months, eight months, six, seven I months, think eight months. Yeah. And and then they they turned to then they turned to Van Hal and get rid of him and then they turned to Mourinho who yeah. I thought did pretty well get rid of I him I thought did fantastic it, because yeah. it didn't fit what they it, it, again the expectation they wanted it to look like Ferguson's United right well, Mourinho's for Mourinho's United will never look like Ferguson's United it could potentially be really successful but it won't ever look the same yeah and maybe they maybe they struck gold here by going with the loyal option of Ole because it looks right now looks like a Ferguson era United. It, it just does. does. And I, I think in a way, like to bookend that idea, right? If you go with your with the humanely loyal option, it just has a better option of panning out. You talked about paying two managers at once. You know when Chelsea fired Conte? You know why he wasn't in management for a whole year? No. Because if he had taken a job at another club, his contract oh, yes. with Chelsea would have been ruptured and they wouldn't have had to pay him. He literally right. just was like, nope. I'm good. Yeah. And he got in touch with Inter. He's like, end of the season. I'll sign the contract on July 1st because on <laughs> yeah. June 30th, my contract with Chelsea ends. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, I mean, yeah, we got a title out of the guy. But, I mean – I'm I'm more stoked about the fact that he brought the back three to England. That's other than that, yeah, Antonio yeah. Conte was just like yeah. this flashpoint as a Chelsea fan. To me, it's like th this Lampard era feels the best in years. This feels yeah. the best on a humane level. If we don't win a title for with Lampard, fine. What has happened in this is the feel good factor of last season and this year as a Chelsea fan. And I assume as a United fan, it's probably oh my similar, gosh, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, well, we were even talking a couple of months ago uh, when Manchester United was sitting in like seventh and eighth place. And you and I were talking about the, the fact that it almost reminded us even in his strategy in terms of his like periodization for the season. Mm -hmm. It reminds us of like early Ferguson to mid mid era Ferguson who would throw almost throw games away right to to save players legs and things like that to make a late season push you know and after december they would just go on runs that were unheard of you know where they'd lose two games one game all of all of the first half of the year you know it was very impressive to watch uh in that time and i feel that now with Skull, with skullshire now again for all i know we don't live in his head you know for all i know he he's not thinking about anything like that but when I watched them, it, it, you know, taking that game again, particularly the Wolves game, there was just a fluidity, a counterattacking nature, this this um, freedom of play that just it just reminded me of that Ferguson era, and it reminded me of um, almost it, it almost you could almost feel that the players felt content in their role at the club. 
you know, even Pogba, who's been open about, you know, some discontent at the club, felt good in that game. Like, you could tell he, he was moving with everybody, he was connecting well, he was making great decisions in relationship to team, you know, to, to the team tactics and things along those lines. So I just, I think that, I think when you, when you focus too much on the immediate results, you ignore someone's ability to grow, right? Absolutely. And if we're ignoring someone's ability to grow, then we're, we're never going to continue to move forward, right? We're always going to be in a sense of regression because we'll, you know, we'll never move past that. That person will never grow beyond that level, if you will. Totally. You know? And I think that we're there in a lot of ways. I even see it in, in a lot of ways at the youth level, you know, where you have this, you've made the top team at your club and you have these expectations of performance out of that top team at your club. When in reality, that performance may not be, you may not be capable of that, right? Mm-hmm. Like at a, at a youth level, we're only capable of doing what our, the players that we have available to us can do. Right. You know, so if I pick up a team that I think is a very talented team and in comparison to the t- to the players that came out to try out and to play at the club are a very talented group of players. Right. But then I go throw them into the deep end and they play the top 10 teams in the country every single weekend. Right. There's yeah. a good chance that they may not be successful. Does that mean that that team is that they have failed? No. It means that our initial expectations of them were set too high and have to be reevaluated. Right. You know, it has actually very little to do with the what they've done as a performance, the players themselves as a performance, and has more to do with our personal expectations of what that performance is supposed to be. Well, and the scary thing is the people watching the professional game and the disloyalty that exists there and just being like, oh, that's, that's the way it should work at the youth level too. Exactly. And, 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 exactly. and that, especially when you're talking about people who are young, right? Like anyone right. under the age of 18 from four yeah. all the way to 17. Yeah. If yes. you are like, I, yeah, look, it, it, you, the Pandora's box of like dysfunctionality and the way we treat young players and the way we build expectations of them is, I mean, that, that's a whole other thing, but yeah, also yeah, it could be but, a whole episode onto itself. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a, it's a 20, it's a 20 episode series. Right. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. But I think yeah. one of the interesting things is like, you know, we see it a lot at the, at, at the youth level is, um, you know, we, there's the tryout tourists, right. The people that hit up every tryout they can right. over the court to, to just see where they'll end up on which team taking right. spots away from other people. Uh, with no intention of joining a club um, and then people who just like they didn't make the top team so they go to that club for this season uh, at my club at rapids youth soccer i have there's players who i have seen come and go from the club almost three or four times in the last five years like right. you know i mean you want to talk about cost how many different uniforms did right. you buy <laughs> right, right. how many different right. clubs uniforms like uh, how how much effort and like driving and all this stuff did you do to eventually just come back to the same team two years later three years later and um to teach young people that level of disloyalty it worries me for football fandom because if you look at kids 
and you're like, now nah, we can, yeah, and just and 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 clubs and like the way we operate at a grassroots level. If you can toss that aside, how are you going to treat these people that you turn into myth- mythological creatures, into gods? Right. Zero humanity. If you can't treat humans with humanity, <laughs> right. people that you actually that you deify, they don't have a chance. They don't stand a chance. Yeah. yeah. And I think it starts from that. I mean, I really do. I mean, you know, I don't want to get too much into, you know, it's a soccer podcast. We don't have to get too much into, you know, social media or anything along those lines. But we're, we're only adding more and more levels of disconnection between us, which allows for more and more dehumanization of, of people, totally. you know. And, and we like to, which I, which I find very interesting, is psychologically, we think if we elevate someone, that that's an acceptable level of dehumanization. And it, it is not. You know, like, I just want to specify that, that just because we're elevating them and giving them praise, the second we stop looking at them as, as humans performing, doing something for us, you're performing for us, is when that disloyalty becomes almost instantaneous. Yeah. It becomes so easy, right? That it's almost hard for me to stand in judgment of that. And then I do see it disseminate the whole way through the youth culture. And I feel sometimes for players when a parent comes to me and says my kid's going to be a professional soccer player why aren't you doing this this or this for this kid and I have to think in the back of my head I've worked with some extremely high level players and I don't know if your kid's going to be a pro player or not right but I do know that I'm giving with what I'm doing I'm giving him the best chance I'm capable of giving him to get there right Yet I'm I'm being held to standards and expectations as a coach by that parent who expects this of me, right, to make their kid a professional player, right? When in reality, I'm not even really aware of what their standards are, you know, what their expectations yeah. of me are. Totally. You know, like I'm just out there doing the best for the player, right? And that again goes back to this sense of loyalty, right? Like how easy it is for a parent to think that the coach is there for them and not there for the player. Right. Right. My job is to be there for the player. Right. And every time that I have done that in my life, which I like to believe is the vast majority of the kids that I've dealt with, things have turned out very well. And any time that I've thought about the parent first, it has almost always led to a situation of mess, confusion, and disappointment. So then if you a know? professional club decides to hire or fire, or to, to fire a manager or keep a manager based on what is being said on social media, right? Right. That's kind of the equivalent of you, you know, perform, making coaching decisions based on what you think the parents exactly. want to see. There's, that's the same as when, exactly. I mean, recently I heard, uh, at, at half t- on M on, uh, I keep doing this MBCSN, uh, MSNBC. No, no, no. MSNBC. No, no, no. MSNBC is the news network. NBCSN is the sports. So this is a problem. We keep doing that. Acronyms just mess with you. So, um, they like a few weeks ago at halftime of a game uh, it was it was halftime of the merseyside derby because virgil van dyke injury had happened right right the the rebecca lowe and and the commentators they actually spent time 
talking about what was being said on social media. And they're like, social yeah. media is really upset about this. Social media is upset about everything. <laughs> like, yeah. it, it, stop For one second, we need to remember that we have the responsibility. I can go on social media and be a troll, or I can go and be maybe a peacemaker, someone who just wants to say nice things. I don't have to be mean. I don't have to be disloyal. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I can choose to use these platforms and these things for good. I can't. And yeah. if you're a coach, if you're running a club, maybe you can look at your manager and say, we choose something for the good. And look, Arteta, two wins on the, in a row right now, they could have fired him right before the Chelsea game. Yeah. Who would yeah. they put in? I don't know. But like, and I, I truly believe that guy's going to get them out of this mess. I don't think that it's, it's going to be a, the, I don't think that they're actually in real collapse crisis mode. I don't. Um, and I think that, so the fact that Solskjaer was given time and he's now in second. Arteta gets two wins on the bounce. Last season, Frank Lampard, everyone said he was terrible. Right. They, they, look. Yeah, it's a great whether point. Whether you believe it or not. And then Dean, Dean Smith at Villa. Last season, I, I'll be honest with you, that looked like a very average English team to me. Yeah. The changes that they made post-lockdown, I mean, they, they saved themselves from relegation because the coaches got together and were like, how are we going to finish the yeah. final 13 yeah. games, solid up our defense, and, and keep it together? They did that. They stuck with Dean Smith. He got the team working. They stuck with players that were working hard and that were giving for the club. Now, Jack Grealish, does it even look like he's going to want to sign for anyone else at the moment? Looks like he's yeah. having a ball at yeah. Villa. And Jack yeah. Grealish got relegated with the club. Everyone's like, he's too good for the club. Get him out. He's stayed with them, and now look at where Jack Grealish is with Villa. Again, it's – yes, making changes can work, like we talked about the Southampton thing, but there is no price for what you can get with loyalty, right? It's, it, it is absolutely priceless, and I don't know. I, I mean, think that um, – I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut no, you go, off. No, go, go for it. Go for it. Um, I think something to end on would be the idea that, you know, loyalty without – evaluation is also senseless you know i really want to be clear that i'm not i'm not advocating for blind loyalty what i'm advocating for is realistic expectations that incorporate the full realm of what is going on as opposed to the data that shows a win or a loss on a table right you know and if we can get to the point where we're making logical sensible decisions that incorporate more than, for instance, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. I think sometimes clubs are making decisions based on social media and how they think that that what, what social media is going to indicate in their stock prices, right. Then affects their decisions in office. And that to me is the disconnect, you know, now if it is actually affecting stock prices or right? ticket sales and that guy, right. And that manager is not doing their job. Right let's say he's off golfing every day or he's not setting his sessions up right or he's off, you know what I mean? Or, or, he, or the O'Leary thing where he drops a hundred million dollars, right? For leads buys none of the players that he needs to be successful, then goes out and proves that he has not been successful. That's not an idea of dis, being disloyal no. to that guy. That's the idea you failed, man. You know, and we also have to, I think, become more comfortable with the idea of failure 
in our culture, which will help us help us with this idea of loyalty. Because I mean, totally. I say I find I find even that at the youth level, how often I have to remind my eight and nine year olds, I want to see mistakes out of you as a player, mm-hmm. because it means that you're trying to push yourself to a higher and a higher and a higher level. You know, now if the mistakes happening all the time, then we talk about how to correct them. Yeah. But if they're make if they go to pull a scissors because they're trying to take a player on and beat them in a one v one, and they mess up and they pull it too late. I don't want to come down. I don't pull that kid and sit him on my bench. I don't fire him from his job. Right. I encourage the behavior of experimentation and acceptance of failure as a learning method. You know, we've talked before about how too there are levels of manager, like it requires certain levels of skill to be managers at different levels. And we're looking at some of these people and giving them no chance to understand the meta of the game at that level, which is different Mm -hmm. than the meta of, let's say, a game at the championship level, or even the difference between the meta of Champions League games and the meta of EPL games. Right. You know, they're played totally differently. They require different analytics. They require different data, and they require different um, tactics to be successful. But we're not giving managers chances to really solve the game and 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 hopefully improve and evolve the game in solving it, right? Totally. Like Pep yeah. Guardiola did at Barcelona, you know, we're talking about made, a loyalty he option, really right? Changed the way we're gonna play soccer for the rest of our lives, you know? Absolutely. Right? Like or Ferguson did in the early nineties with the counterattacking game. Well, you remember, know, Barcelona said, chose you know, Guardiola over Mourinho. Like, right, when they when they right. chose Guardiola, Mourinho was, you know, killing it at Chelsea. Yeah. He was at the top. Yeah. He wanted to come back. And they were like, you're winning. You're doing great. We just – we want to go with really one of our totally – We want to invest own. in someone that you know, has, Mourinho has was what a Barcelona, Exactly. Yeah. And, and Mourinho yeah. was a Barcelona guy. Yeah, yeah. And But Guardiola was just more. I mean, he really, yeah. really – I mean – Marina's Portuguese. Guardiola is Catalan. He's from Barcelona. And they went with that option. And the payoff, I mean, Zidane at Real Madrid, the payoff of these these options. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're totally right. And that, I mean, that idea that we can make investments in these things has to start becoming systemic. Or I don't see, I don't see personally as a fan of the game. I don't see it going the direction I want. I see it becoming more and more and more litigious. I become, I see it becoming more and more and more fair weather. I become it seeing less and less and less loyalty to managers, players, and fans. You know, we always want to talk about what clubs are always doing for fans and this and that. Maybe don't fire the guy that we've all loved for X amount of years. You know what I'm saying? Over nothing. You know, maybe don't yeah. listen to the bullies in our fan, in our, in our fan, in our membership clubs, in our fan clubs. Mm-hmm. Maybe don't listen to the bullies and back them, which to me feels disloyal to me, you know, because yeah. I'm not trying to bully people. I'm here to be a good fan that's been a fan of Manchester United for 33 or 32 years now. I was three years old when I got my first Manchester United jersey and saw them play and thought to myself, Soccer is what I want to do from with my life. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a highlight video of the 1992, you know, or no, sorry, a highlight video of the 1992 um, season. Yeah. You know, was when I decided this is what I want to do with my life. You know, 
So 30 years I've been a fan of Manchester United. And to me, when I see people getting sacked, I believed in David Moyes. And I think given the time that he might have been able to do something, you know, I did not believe in Van Gaal and I didn't believe in Mourinho, but I do believe in Skullshire, you know, and I don't think Mourinho ever really, I don't think he was ever really going to be a Manchester United manager. He just, he doesn't fit. He's, he's a manager, for instance, that only wants to be at a club for four to five years. He he's doesn't want to be at a club forever. He's also Manchester great United needs underdog. a manager that wants a decade. I'm sorry. What yeah. did you say? I was saying he's it, Mourinho's excellent at being an underdog. He's exactly. really good at that. Yeah. So being That's at Spurs fair. is is perfect for him, I think. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And and two, if if you've noted at Spurs to speak to this idea of loyalty and to this idea of um changing the locker room, changing the methodology of the club from the from the top down, right? The ideology and methodology. Mourinho has done that at Tottenham. Mm-hmm. You know, Mourinho went in there and said, "You guys are going to become Mourinho's Tottenham from now on." Right. You're not going to be, you know, and to some degree all of a sudden, he's got a team and a front of house staff that have his back. Yeah. And he can make yeah, yeah, decisions yeah. unilaterally that are beneficiary to the club in terms mm-hmm. of money, right? He can make decisions about players without having to feel as though his job's going to be on the line at every second, right? Right. Which has allowed him freedom to adapt to injury issues and make real changes that have been, I think, some of the most brilliant in at least last year's, you know, last year's season, you know? So again, looking back at this idea of when you make someone feel like they're comfortable, they will return that with long-term success, maybe not immediate success, but long-term success. And that effectively will, will eventually disseminate the whole way through to the youth level where all of a sudden you have players that are really fighting for their clubs. They're not jumping from one club to another. They're saying, I want to play for this club. I want to wear their badge. I want to win a national championship with SAC. I want to win a national championship with Rapids, right? And because if the guy jumps all the time, he's never going to understand the tactics of the team he's playing on. He's not going to understand what the coach really wants, what the players around him really needs. You know, and what loyalty is that to the game itself? Exactly. You're just exactly. you're just doing something. And that has to start from what we're seeing at the highest level because that's totally. what we all judge ourselves by. Mm-hmm. You know? Hey, man, this has been absolutely fantastic. Awesome. Yeah, yeah totally. No, really, really great. And and uh, just a, a obviously happy new year. Um, yes, to you too. And, and look, 2020 was insane. Uh, and I think this year as a year, like, everything that we've talked about here just uh, one thing I like to do with with this game is extrapolate what I see here and just apply it to what I see in life and society and you know football has given us so many lessons for life this year so go ahead everybody and just like think about those pieces those loyalty pieces and how like going into this new year Hopefully we're, we don't get nailed by another pandemic or, you know, yeah. an, a, an actual meteor shower that crashes yeah. into Earth. Yeah. But, I can know, only assume the dinosaurs are coming back at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know? probably. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I mean, what, the government's already telling us that UFOs are, you know, a thing <laughs> right. now. They're finally admitting it. So this is, right. it's going to be a fun year. But yeah. no, let's all, let's all stick together and enjoy it. And, um, and Ben, like, the, uh, for personally between the two of us you're one of my most loyal friends and um that's 
the reason why I thought that this topic is so good because you're loyal to the game through and through. You're loyal to your players and you have gone through your own evolution with this topic. And we all have. And I, you know, I just think that your point of view on this has been top notch. Love it. Hey, thank you. Thank you again, man. And um, right back at you. I love you, brother. It's love really you. easy to be your friend, pal. Um, and I agree with you. I think you're, I, I agree with the idea that I think you're a very loyal person as well. You know, so I, Thanks, dude. I'm, I think that this is going to be a, a very fun, very fun recording. I can't wait to hear it when it comes out. Yep. Well, that's the plan. Getting to it in a couple minutes once, uh, once I pee. Yeah. Yep. Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs> Take it easy. Bye, guys. Thanks, man. All right.